Our scripture reading this morning comes to us from the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, beginning to read with verse 53 and continuing on through verse 65. Hear now the word of the Lord. And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death and found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What uh, further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, Prophesy! And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. May the Lord bless us as we consider this passage of Scripture for our own piety and spiritual development. The title of the message this morning is Sanhedrin Hypocrisy. In this passage of Scripture, the horror of Christ's death is observed, or the horror of his persecution, that this was the beginning of it, is observed. Our, our, in, the, in the sense of the Scripture passage, uh, our covenant heads, or their covenant heads at the, at the time, namely the, the Sanhedrin, the high priest and the chief priests and the elders, uh, they were the covenant heads of Israel. And their covenant, they, uh, our, if we can see ourselves tucked away or hidden in Israel, our covenant head then, uh, our covenant heads met the covenant head, namely the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the covenant head of the new covenant. In, in his blood, which we celebrate in the Lord's Supper and in the Gospel of Christ. And what we see here is that when these two sets of covenant heads meet, we see a kind of, of, kind of hatred, the pure, the pure, dreadful, abhorrent hatred, which lies deep within our breast, that, that men continually pretend. <coughs> they argue with themselves. When the Bible says the carnal mind is enmity against God. In other words, the carnal mind, the, the mind that is unhelped by grace is, is enmity or hatred against God. People 
shrink back. They say, oh, the Bible has this wrong. I may not be as loving or I may not be as this or that with God as I should be, but I certainly don't hate the living God. I don't hate God. I don't hate Jesus Christ. This passage of scripture that we have before us shows something of the wickedness, of the iniquity, of the horrors of the human soul. It's well worth our study, well worth our consideration, because everything that we see here in terms of the horror, we also see here in terms of the blessedness and the purity of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is like an angel and more. He's like the angel of the Lord in the face of this human hatred. And it's, uh, it's quite remarkable. I say all this because of these covenant heads that we see represented before us. This is supposed to be the cream of the crop, so to speak, of Israel. These are supposed to be the best of the best. We see this in, in the, the description of those who are arrayed against our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just the chief priest of that day and then the elders. No, they had, they had also concocted a system whereby the, when the, the chief priest who was elected each year, uh, they, uh, uh, they had collected those who had retired, the chief priests who had retired. And so they were also a part of this otherwise august body who was supposed to represent Israel before the Lord. These were the leaders of Israel. This was the cream of the cream. These were the greatest intellects. These were supposed to be the greatest men of piety, the greatest men who really loved God. If Israel was the covenant people, then these people were supposed to be the zenith, the apex, the top of the mountain of this mountain of the Lord. And so they were the ones before Jesus or before whom Jesus was brought. In verse 53, it says, And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the high the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. Remember, this was Passover week when Jesus was crucified. This was a time when all Israel came together to celebrate the Passover. So this august body of governance over Israel was never more populated with those who were of high order, high station, than it was on this occasion. And it was before this body. It was not before some group of pagans. It was not before the Goths or some uh, absent people who had never heard uh, the publication of the things of Christ, the things of the Lord, the things of Moses. It was not before that kind of a group. It was before the creme de la creme. Before the, arist the spiritual aristocracy of this world, as it was known in that day, before the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin was supposed to be the most lofty, libera liberating, or, or, or deliberating, uh, serious body, sober-minded, according to the word of God. Not just according to human reason, but according to the word of God. They were supposed to be the apex of the humanity which had been created when God formed Adam and Eve from the dust uh, of the earth. 
And so uh, it's with special horror that we see this transgression of injustice or this, this transgression of, of justice here. It helps us to, we should remind ourselves based upon the Mosaic legislation. It, it would help us to re- remind ourselves or reprise for ourselves the, the, the central tenets of justice or a just trial in those days. First of all, there should be no partiality. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Right away in the first chapter, it lectures us on when you bring people to trial, uh, there can be no partiality. You, you cannot, uh, you cannot uh, have anything in your mind which predisposes you to guilt or innocence. You're supposed to listen to the the arguments made before the court. And you're not supposed to make your decision based upon whether you like somebody or you don't like somebody. In Deuteronomy, it says, don't be partial to the poor or to the rich. Today, we, we tend to be partial to the poor. What we've seen just recently where a, a, a policeman went and stopped a murder, we see the, the, the film, we see the woman with a knife in her hand, her arm outreached, outreached like this, ready to plunge this knife into this other woman uh, against a car. A policeman shoots the woman with the knife, and the policeman now is being uh, attacked across the land. But this is not a case like that. This is a case that's supposed to be done uh, judge, uh, judgment is supposed to be made on made on real ju- judgment, not on partiality. We're not we're neither, we're neither partial to the rich because of what they can give to us, nor are we partial to the poor, out of some sense, some false sense of justice or injustice. We're supposed to come and look at the details of the justice or the case of justice itself. And secondly. In Israel, they were supposed to they were supposed to make sure that the laws were the laws and the transgressions were transgressions. They were not supposed to bring somebody to, to trial until they could cite the the law or the case law that they had transgressed and that that transgression was actually uh, a transgression of the law. For instance, in Sabbath Sabbath breaking in the Old Testament, there's the famous case of the woman that went out and and began to collect or began to ready herself for her Sabbath cooking the day of the Sabbath. And so she went, she hadn't taken any kind of preliminary preparations. Uh, and so she was brought and she was ultimately executed uh, by Israel for her profaning the Lord's day. But that didn't, there were lots of cases where people were doing kinds of work, anticipatory work on the Lord's day, but they were judged to be uh, of necessity. You know, you can't, uh, uh, you can't do this or that without uh, going through steps one, two, or three. But those steps, you should have made some preparation for it before. So the trial would be, the trial, a trial for this kind of breaking of the law would have to do with was, the, was this behavior, whatever it was, was this actually a, 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 an, 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 an effort at, at actually breaking the law that we have uh, in Exodus chapter 20. So, first of all, no partiality. Secondly, verify the laws and the transgressions of the laws. 
in terms of what, of what was really going on. Thirdly, they had to verify the behavior of the person and their behavior. Um, that's what was being done in uh, in approximation when they brought the when they brought the woman who had committed who was caught in adultery before Jesus to ask him what his opinions were, and they said, "How do you judge?" So what Jesus immediately starts to uh, ask questions about what's going on there, and uh, he looks at both his the accusers and the woman. In Moses' law, you could not be brought a uh, one person could not be brought before the tribunal for uh, indictment of, of, uh, of uh, adultery. Adultery takes two people. Uh, and uh, so if you caught the one, where's the other, you see? There's a big problem there. And so Jesus will not, he, Jesus will not accept their judicial arrangements for that trial. And he said he realized that the evil was in the intentions of those who brought the woman. They just didn't, they cared not a bit for her. They only cared to try to entrap Jesus. So he looked at them and he said he was out without sin, cast the first stone. And uh, they felt uh, disqualified by his indictment of them. So first, no partiality. Secondly, verify the laws and the transgressions of the laws. Thirdly, verify the, uh, the, the, tra the factual transgressions of the person who you're being, um, who's being indicted. And then thirdly, you have to reach a consensus. The Israel has to reach a consensus on this. It can't be just one person in the courtroom or one judge or one elder. No, it has to be a consensus, a unity, a unanimity amongst those who sit in judgment. And, uh, and, uh, when there is a unanimity reached, then there can be a, a uh, sentence that is passed either to justify that person, to say, no, they are not guilty of this, they are an innocent person, they are a righteous person, because these charges do not fit, or to condemn that person and say uh, they must pay the penalty for their sin, whatever it was, according to again, according to the law of Moses. And... Um, <clears throat> And so in the end, we see that in order for a court to be a true court of the Lord, the court had to love God, and they had to love Israel, and they had to love righteousness. They had to love justice. The worst thing possible was that they would find somebody guilty who was innocent. And in the name of some false law, just put somebody to death because they felt like, uh, the, there was a, a body count that needed to be met that day. No, 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 that could not be done. In Israel, you had to love the Lord and you had to love the people of Israel. You could not condemn people falsely. You had to love Israel and love the life that God gave us that he, that he calls us to protect and to love in the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not kill. In this sense. And so uh, Israel was supposed to hate the false accusation. They were supposed to loathe kangaroo courts and show trials. The kind of thing that this world uh, that we live in loves. We think of the show trials of, uh, of uh, Marxism in Russia. They bring poor, poor, poor people out of prison 
and just put them before, shout all kinds of accusations at them, bring false uh, testifiers forward and have them denounce this person and then take them away and have them be shot by the thousands, by the millions indeed. This has been done in this evil world of ours where men do not love the Lord and they do not love each other. They they prance about protesting their love for each other even as they treat each other diabolically. But this was not to be the case in Israel. Now we look at what happens here in this text. We see uh, in verse 53 that Jesus was led away to the high priest and, and all these others, all these others were arrayed against him. There was Peter in verse 54 who followed shyly at a distance. We'll, we'll hear more about him. But other than Peter, everyone else there in the trial was set against our Lord. Now in verse 55, um, the, the council, the chief priests in the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death. How does that reconcile with what I, would, what I just said about Mosaic justice? Where is, where is the accused defender, his, his attorney, the, the, the person that can ask questions about the accusations? You see, even in the Proverbs it says that he who brings a, an accusation, it sounds great when he's first brought it, but it needs to be torn apart. It needs to be analyzed to see if it's really, if it's really there. Well, that's what they would do in, in court. But this seems to be missing here. Well, there seems to be some bit of it we see, but it's largely missing. They're, they're, they're seeking, they're, they're, the, the, the charges are not even fully formed. They're using the court in this case to collect and to frame the charges. How can that be? That's corrupt. The, the, the charges should already be manifest. And the, and, the, and the charges as they are uh, arranged should be brought. Um, they found none. And it says, for many bore fault witnesses against So this was basically like a mob. You bring somebody before a mob and then ask openly, does anybody, have, anybody know how wicked this man is? Can anybody tell? Um, can anybody, does anybody have any ideas about this? We've had an example of this in our, our last president, Donald Trump. I'm not saying anything about his absolute righteousness or anything, but there was there was a, uh, how would you like to have a mob? Call? There were people who were ready to say anything against him. They had no controls over their hearts. They may have had some just charge against him, but in mass, it was a, it was a terribly wicked situation. And, uh, that's what that's what that was the position of Jesus, and but they now to the to the credit of the Sanhedrin, they they did that when the charges were made they did they did compare these charges and they they felt that the charges did not agree enough or the testimonies did not agree enough the end of verse fifty six to actually stand as charges. So then they went round two. You see, this shows the corruption of the court. It's supposed, you're supposed to have the charges already fully formed. You know, you're not using the court, which is supposed to be a court of judgment on the charge. You're not supposed to have the court be a kind of a, a court of arraignment. Uh, but that's what the, so they had round one. They couldn't agree, no charges. So then they reconvened the court. Let's see if we can find something else about him. 
And there was a false witness brought up against him. Verse 58, we heard him, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. You see what people do. This is, this is not a, an accurate statement of what Jesus had said. Jesus said that the temple would be raised or the temple would be brought down, and within three days he would raise it up again. But he did not say that he would destroy it. He didn't go there, but that's what these false accusations. So there was a semblance of truth. He had said something about this. We see our media and our day is full of this kind of prevarication, this kind of corruption. Any semblance of what they want to believe is believed and then brought forward as actual testimony. And again, People don't like to hear this because they don't like to bring politics uh, into gospel preaching. But we have had one of the best and clearest examples of this kind of malfeasance of justice before our eyes with the last president and the accusations that were brought against him. He, he, he was told by, he was testified by great men in the land, great men like this. It was testified that he was a Russian agent. And, and the charge was maintained by our bureaus like the FBI and the Department of Justice for not just for days or weeks or months, but years. How could this be? But this is exactly what happened to, to Jesus Christ. And this is the kind of thing that he had to go through. But even then, it says at the end of verse 59, their testimony did not agree. Finally, the high priest, this is the crescendo of the whole trial. The high priest stands up. First of all, he wants Jesus to self-incriminate himself. Jesus passes on that. <laughs> Just remains silent. But then the high priest asks him again, saying, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Most High, or the Son of the Blessed? Verse 62 is one of the sweetest scriptures in all of the Bible. For faced with this, Jesus cannot deny his own being, his own title, his own office. And so in full honesty, he said, I am. And then he went on to say, and you will see the Son of Man. Now the, the, the Christ is also called the Son of Man. It's used, as I said in before in sermons, it's used in the book of Daniel as a term of God coming in judgment against Israel. And so Jesus invokes that. He says, I am the Son of, I am the Christ. You will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Father and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now the, the sense there is, in terms of Daniel, the sense is to judge you all who sit in judgment upon me in this court. It's just like Psalm 82. Psalm 82 says, Psalm 82 attacks the mighty of this world who sit in judgment, who have been elected, who have been jurists, who have been uh, made uh, great judges of the world, of, of their countries, of their counties, whatever. Psalm 82 calls them to account. And it says that there's a God above them to whom they must give account. And it says if they judge unworthily, unrighteously, that they will be brought under the judgment of God. I love Psalm 82, especially in a day like this of such great iniquity, such great corruption. 
And so Jesus invokes some of these same ideas, but from Daniel. And when he does that, um, the high priest tore his clothes and said, what further need do we have of witnesses? You heard the blasphemy. What do you think? Well, what, what, what do we think about this? Was Jesus testifying truly? Was there corruption in his testimony? You see, what the, the next step of the court, they should, should have been, okay, this man claims to be the Christ. What do we think of that? What's the evidence for that or against that? And if they had taken, if they had taken testimony on that, now the Christ is the righteous one from God. The Christ cannot have sinned. The Christ must love the living the Father with all of his heart and his soul and his mind. What is the testimony of that? And if they'd asked for that testimony, they would have found the testimony crescending, uh, crescending down upon them or falling upon them. Because there were no charges. Who could bring a charge against Jesus Christ? Some had tried, but they'd never stuck. Did this man love the Father? Testimony after testimony after testimony could have come. They made the charge, but what of this charge? Was there, it was a, how do we evaluate that charge? They made no attempt to evaluate the charge that they brought against him. He was simply being honest. How would they judge that honesty? And we see that they had no interest, no interest at all in a sober evaluation of what Jesus had said, of his testimony. They only wanted him dead. Which bespeaks of the very first principle that I brought forward in terms of Old Testament jurisprudence, partiality. The judges, the judges were partial against this God who had sent this only begotten Son into the world. And they were determined to crucify him in one way or another. They simply wanted to maintain a veil of legality over the case so that nobody could bring charges against them. But they became inebriated by their numbers and by the unanimity of their mindset. Here were Sadducees and Pharisees and scribes. Here were how the high priest, here were the priests who had gone before him, who had preceded him. Here they were all together. And what was it? They agreed that this was blasphemy on the basis of no uh, evidence whatsoever, other than it would be blasphemy if somebody who was not the Son of God had said these things. But Jesus was the Son of God. And so he had simply testified truthfully and honestly about who he was. He was the lamb who was slain, the lamb who did not speak out, the, the lamb who was innocent even unto the end. He was the one who despite, who despite our bent, our corruption came into the world to save exactly these kinds of people. He was the father's covenant head of the human race, the covenant head of creation, even Jesus Christ. Our covenant head came before the covenant head 
and were found wanting. These were the superlatives of their day. But when you took a blood sample of their hearts and their souls, what you found was the most dire kind of corruption. Corruption that was able to take the most innocent man who had ever lived, take the man who was the last person who should have received the death penalty, and assign the mantle of death over him. Utterly corrupt. Utterly wicked. We can't get any more wicked than this. This is much worse than murder or rape or ruining people by thieving the monies of their lives. This is doing all of those things, but instead of to a human being, it was doing them to the divine God and his divine son, Jesus Christ. And so this Sanhedrin, which was supposed to be a representation of righteousness, is found to be utterly, utterly, corruptly wicked. And it was because of this great wickedness that Jesus came. Jesus came to utterly override all of our wickedness, to take all of this enmity, which the Bible says we have when we're not adorned by grace, and Jesus came to totally overturn that for those whom God had chosen. For God who for those whom God had chosen to set his love upon, for the elect. And in their case, their enmity was no guard against grace. The grace of God was able to save such people even unto the uttermost. And he's able to save us even unto the uttermost, no matter what our sins might be. Oh, precious Lord. Oh, great God. Do we have any... Do we have any, any sight of more wickedness and more human corruption than this trial? And then this Lamb of God, in his innocence, brought before this wicked, wicked tribunal, found guilty, then crucified, dead, and buried. Do we have any example in the Bible of more corruption collected than we have in the Sanhedrin of Jesus' day? It was Jesus' willingness to ordeal, or undergo this ordeal, this trial, that is one of the signals of his, of his wonderful love of us. Let us pray together. Our Father and our God, we pray that if there are those in the congregation who have never believed on thee before, who have been willing to pr pretend or confuse themselves with their own righteousness, indicating that they, they were not sick, that they did not need the great physician. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would save them today on the spot before thy word, that they might see the goodness of Christ and be driven to it. Oh, Jesus, I must have thy goodness to purify my own heart. Save me, O oh Lord. Make me clean. Make me new. Make me real. We pray, O oh Lord, that thou wouldst be with the children in the church. Help them to see this. Cut through the confusions of their hearts, the confusions of the day, the confusions of their youth. Oh God, cut through that. Help them to see on this day the purity and the power of thine only begotten Son, that they might forevermore walk forward as clean people 
in Christ. Bless us as a church, O Lord. Bless our gospel that we preach. Help us, O Lord. We are weak today. We need thy help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.